It was a great time of anticipation, of excitement, and a great time of um, expectations. But you know, as the great novel says, um, it begins, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And we're going to see both of that reflected in this story. But you know, as the video recounts and as we are familiar, many of us with this story, and I will kind of remind us of what actually took place so many years ago as Jesus entered Jerusalem, uh, it was in many ways a triumphal entry. But it was a time of of, um, wonderful excitement in the city of Jerusalem, and there was great expectation about what would happen, and many um, expectations placed on Jesus himself. And you know, life is full of expectations, isn't it? I mean, from, from small ones to big ones, to big life events, there are many things that, um, that we anticipate and look forward to. Have you ever met anybody famous? I think we could all probably like tell a story or two of somebody famous that we met. And, you know, we've probably from time to time even made it up because who's going to know, right? There I was in the street corner and I met whatever, you know. But I think we could all probably say, you know, that there was a, a time where we maybe even unexpectedly we, we met somebody that was famous and you kind of just take them out of, it's out of context, so you're not even sure. But, but then there's other times when you anticipated because you know that perhaps there's a meeting coming up. Maybe you won tickets to a, a concert to your favorite band, you get to meet them backstage, whatever it is. And there certainly are times when we can meet somebody famous And we're anticipating that moment and we have these great expectations and they live up to it. You know, I was talking to one of my uncles, my dad's brother, Uncle Bob, recently, and he was recounting a story of, it was 1955 in Newark, that's where all my family is from, and he was parking cars as a young man, he was 20 years old, and him and his brother, they were parking cars in this city lot for a few different businesses, and one of the businesses was a radio station and of course back in this day there really were no tvs yet so everybody listened to the radio and this particular station had uh, an afternoon show where they played country music and i always wondered where my dad and his brothers got their love of country music as they were boys from the middle of newark new jersey right but um but yeah but it was from the radio because there was this great um, this great, you know, country music station. So my uncle is, is 20 and he's parking cars. And so his friend pulls in and says, oh, Bob, can you park the car? And he says, sure. And he says, there's somebody that I want you to meet. And so he came around, opened the door and his friend got out of the car and he said, this guy's a singer and he's going to be on the radio here in a few minutes. I want you to listen to him. And so my uncle Bob reached out his hand and said, I'm Bob. And the guy said, oh, my name is Elvis. Elvis Presley. Now, of course, at the time, he wasn't famous. They didn't know who he was. And a few minutes later, he went upstairs and he sang uh, through the radio. And my uncle was listening on his little car radio. And, you know, he tells me the story. I assume it's true that he heard it. And he sang this song, obscure song, called Heartbreak Hotel. And he sang it. And my uncle thought, I think this guy is going to go places. I think he'll be something. He had these expectations, and they certainly did come true, didn't they? What an amazing opportunity. That's even a time you meet somebody who didn't even know he was famous yet. But then there are those times in life when perhaps we meet somebody we admire, somebody famous, a celebrity. We have all these great expectations, and the anticipation builds, but it just doesn't seem to work out 
the way we expected. Many years ago when our kids were young, we lived down in Florida for a time. We went to see the Yankees uh, in a spring training game in Tampa. And so they have a, a great opportunity for the fans to meet the players, especially during spring training. Because if you've ever been down there in Tampa, they sort of have their practice field there on before the game. And then there's this walkway they use, the whole team, to get to the stadium. And so the fans can line up and actually, unlike you know in New York during the regular season, you can meet and greet the players. And so my daughter, Lauren, our oldest, she was really young at the time, and she was a big Derek Jeter fan. Just like everybody else here, right? I mean, who couldn't be a Derek Jeter fan, right? And Right? Or no? No, that's not right. Anyway, a big fan. A little girl, you know, she's got her, her Yankees jersey on her, her Jeter jersey. And we're standing, we got our way right up to the front uh, of the fence. And we see him in the distance. All the players are walking through. And, and the, you know, there's Bernie Williams and there's all the other ones. And he's, he's coming. And my daughter is so excited, building with anticipation and expectation. And she's about to shake his hand and get his autograph. And he's one person away. And we can push her up to the front. And then here he comes. And all of a sudden, something happens in the blink of an eye. And he's over here. And she's shaking the hand of Regis Philbin. And some of you don't even know who that is. He was like a famous talk show host, celebrity for being a celebrity. He happened to be at the game, like working out as a promotion for the show with the Yankees. And he happened to be right behind him. Derek Jeter got pulled in the other direction. And he's standing right in front of my daughter. She doesn't even know who he is. And he's shaking her hand. Hi, little girl, signing her autograph. And she's looking around like, what just happened? She had all of this anticipation built and of no fault of Derek Jeter, of course, that she met Regis Philbin. So yes, she met a celebrity, but one she didn't even know. But see, she, she was so excited and had these great expectations, but it certainly didn't pan out the way she anticipated. And that's, you know what, that's kind of the story of the triumphal entry. Because here was Jesus, the king. He, of course, knew who he was. And there was a group of people, as there always has been a remnant, that knew exactly who he was. And they were singing right along with everybody else. You know, songs of praise for the the king coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. But for most of them, singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know that they really didn't know who he was. The problem is, is they thought they knew who he was. Because they based it upon just his miracles and wonders. So they had an idea of who Jesus was, but the problem is it was their own idea. It wasn't the Jesus that he told that he was of himself. It wasn't the true Jesus Messiah. It wasn't even the promised Messiah in all of the Old Testament. And so they had a misconception about who this famous person was that they had heard about, And we're now finally getting to meet. And for most of them, it was a letdown. Can you imagine? Finally meeting the Lord Jesus but being let down? We could never imagine that. But for the most of people, it was. Because they expected many things that Jesus never promised or did not come to say or to do. And that's the way that we're going to look at this familiar account in Jesus' life, the beginning of the last week of his earthly ministry and his life on earth. 
as we uh, normally call the triumphal entry, where Jesus and his disciples come into Jerusalem for the final time, and he comes in as king. And so it's unfortunate, in a sense, where we read that part of the story and see that there were so many people a few days later that were let down, where they went from singing Hosanna in the highest to crucify him, shouting it at the top of their lungs. And why? It was because their expectations were not met. And so simply, that's really our application for today. What are our expectations of the Lord Jesus And are they based on what we know from the Scriptures? Or are they based on who we think He should be? And are they based on what we think He should be doing for us? I just want to briefly recap the the account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem so we have some perspective. And then I just want to look at what does that mean to have those expectations for the people in the story, but then also for us. They came from the east, Jesus and his followers, on the road from Jericho. They approached Bethpage, the town of Bethpage and of Bethany, on their way to the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. And you know, uh, many of you know that I'm one about perspective. I love maps, and we have a missions map out there, which is quite unique, but it helps to give us perspective. So there is this short little animation we got from uh, Google Earth. Have you ever used that to kind of see a different perspective? And check this out, right? And so I just want to show you what this looks like. And so here is, it'll go quick and we'll show it again. There is the Middle East. There is Jerusalem. Can you see it? I'm probably in somebody's way. And there is Bethany, Bethpage, Mount, uh, Mount of Olives. We're going to show it again. There is Bethany leading to the Mount of Olives. See it looking down into Jerusalem. There's the Temple Mount. And then here is just the view from the Mediterranean Sea. Then we're going to show it again. All right? Again, it goes from wider. There's Jerusalem, the Dead Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. So you get an idea of where Jerusalem is. So we talk about the triumphal entry. Here's where they were traveling. Bethany, Bethpage, the Mount of Olives. See how close it is to Jerusalem. But it's a mountain that looks down into Jerusalem. There's the Kidron Valley, which is right in between. Not too big. See how close they are? And then you have to go down to the valley and then up to Jerusalem. You see that? So it's pretty amazing. And it's, it's it's a good help for us to kind of visualize when we read a story like this. And it says that they were on their way from Bethpage to Bethany and the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem are kind of like, all right, these are just places You see how close they were together. They were on the eastern slopes, scriptures tell us, in those towns where they stayed. And here's why it's important, because during the time of the Passover, right, which is, of course, the the Hebrew people remembering uh, God's uh, saving them and rescuing them from oppression under Pharaoh and Egypt. So they were from that moment on in, in their history to remember that every year. And that's what we call the Passover. And um, what they were celebrating or remembering was God's deliverance. But see, what would happen is Jews that were dispersed from all over the Middle East, they would come at least once a year to celebrate the Passover in the holy city of Jerusalem, the city of David, so they could come and offer sacrifices and do what the law required of them. And so these people, really pilgrims, would come from all over. 
speaking the languages, even though they were all Jewish, languages of their now, you know, home countries. And they would come from all over. And at that time, the city of Jerusalem had about maybe 800,000 inhabitants. But during the time of the Passover, it would swell to millions. And if you saw that, if you could picture that map, where could you fit them all? They weren't all just kind of like scrunched in that Kidron Valley. They would come in, it was a multiple day event, and they would stay outside of the city proper in towns like Bethany and Bethpage and in places on the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus, being a good Jew and with them, of course, he did that as well. And he was coming into Jerusalem and all his disciples were following him. So that's sort of the, the backstory, the scene Uh, if you will, about what was going on in this triumphal entry. He had been to Jerusalem before, but we now know, in retrospect, of course, that this was the last time that he was going to enter the great city of David, his city. Make sure we remember that. And so all those following him really were pilgrims on a journey. They knew of his wonders and his miracles. He had his twelve with him, but hundreds and hundreds others. And they would be singing, and it was a traditional thing that as these pilgrims would be making their way into Jerusalem during this time of year for the Passover feast, they would be singing. They would be singing the Psalms. Remember we talked in our series on worship about singing Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so the book of Psalms, the longest book of the Bible, is basically the Hebrew-like songbook. And it was poetry that they would put to music to worship God. And so the, uh, the Jewish people would be singing psalms, especially Psalms 113 to 18. It's traditionally called the Hallel, which is part of where we go Hallelujah. It was the Hallel, and part of that is the great Hallel. But they were songs of praise and thanksgiving. And part of those songs is the phrase, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. So they would be singing that. They'd be singing Hosanna. Hosanna. Right? And that's what we can picture, especially on this day every year. Hosanna. Shouting Hosanna with their cloaks on the ground and their palm branches. Right? Welcoming the King. Hosanna simply means save us. It means like an emphatic, like I beg you, please deliver us. Save us now. And that's what they were doing. And so it says in the passage that we're going to read in a moment, it says that they simply asked, many of them, when they saw all of this happening, they asked one another, who is this? See, they knew he was famous. They knew that he was a celebrity because everybody seemed to know about him. But many of them didn't know and they said, who is this? That maybe that happened to you too. Did you ever maybe like you're in the streets of New York City and there's a big crowd? And you're like, wow, what's going on over there? And oh, there's a celebrity. Well, who is this person? Why is there so much attention being given to that person? And that's what was happening. So they asked that question, who is this? So I want to read from Matthew 21. Just the first 11 verses, you know, we see this account in the Gospels. But I wanted to read Matthew's um, take on it this morning. Especially because he includes this part where many of them were asking one another this really important question. Who is this? See, there was great expectations about a Messiah coming. A promised, prophesied Messiah. 
And there were many that were saying, is this he? Is this the one? Who is this? So look at what it says in Matthew 21, just the first 11 verses. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, now you can picture it from our Google Maps video, then Jesus sent two of his disciples. So they're on that Mount of Olives looking down in Jerusalem. Can you picture it? Over the Kidron Valley, not too far away. Even from the Mount of Olives, you can see over Jerusalem, in the the great distance, you can see the Mediterranean Sea, right? And so basically he says um, that they were on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go into the village down in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, here's what you say. The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That was a prophecy from the Old Testament. So the disciples went, and they did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, And Jesus sat on them. Now most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Him and that followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's what was happening. Jesus rode in on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy. The cloaks were laid down to welcome in the king. Palm branches were cut from the nearby areas and they were waving them in the air, even laying them down to prepare the way for the king. Jesus was finally hailed as king. And his his purpose here was clear to finally make that public claim to allow everyone to welcome Him into His city as Messiah and King of Israel. If you remember from our study in Mark, if you're reading the Gospels, you remember how often Jesus would heal somebody? And then what would He ask them to do? Say, don't tell anybody, it's not the right time. And inevitably, what would that healed person do? They would run and go tell everybody it wasn't the right time. But So He wasn't planning he wasn't asking everyone to go go tell him i'm king your messiah is here it was not the right time of fulfillment now was the time and jesus allowed it in other i think it's in luke where it says that the pharisees tried to silence him and said don't let these people call you king don't let them shout hosanna to you and you remember jesus response in luke 19 he says if they don't cry out the rocks are going to cry out So it was time for Jesus to be welcomed. And of course, He allowed it. So in a way, He received the proper coronation that a king would receive. They were shouting. But the problem we find is that who did they really think that He was? What kind of king did they think He was going to be? If you remember from Israel's history, they were delivered from Babylon a few hundred years prior to this event, from oppression and from slavery and captivity. 
But now, weren't they just under a different oppressive regime? I mean, it was Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, but who was it now? It was Rome, right? It was Rome and Caesar and the leadership. And so they were now under just a different oppression. See, Israel at the time was this real hotbed and this real cauldron of unrest because they had been waited, waiting so long for their Messiah. And in a way, they were just remembering their past, saying, here we are again, being oppressed by another foreign people. They yearned for their Messiah to come and deliver them. But remember, what did they want their Messiah to do? They wanted Him to ride in on a stallion with a sword and a shield and wipe out all of the Roman army to conquer them through war and through violence and to overthrow them to take His place on the throne and to sit and to rule in that manner. That's what people were expecting. Hosanna and I, here He is! He's going to come in and wipe them out. Our oppressors, finally our Messiah is here. But here He comes riding on a donkey. A few knew what it meant. Most missed. They missed the reference. The problem is, their misunderstanding led to their fleeting devotion just a few days later when they started to shout, not Hosanna, but crucify Him. The whole problem is their expectations were not met because they had the wrong understanding of who He was. Many people today still create a picture of Jesus that's not accurate. It's not biblical. It's partial or just untrue. And you know what, church? We do that too. Even though we are forgiven, forgiven we are still sinners. And so even though we have the Scriptures, perhaps we don't open them enough to see who the true God is that we are called to worship and today even sing hallelujah and to sing hosanna. Because how can we really do that if we don't know who He really is? But who do we, I mean, where do we go to find out who Jesus is? To find out who this God is that we're called to serve? Is it not the pages of our Bibles? That's how we first and foremost discover the God who has revealed Himself to us. Is that not amazing in and of itself? That the God of the universe, our Creator, He chose to reveal Himself to us. He gives us the very Word of God. His very own words describing who He is and what He would do. But how different was the picture of what Scripture says, even what the Old Testament said at the time they didn't have the New Testament. It was being written, right? They had the Old Testament Scriptures. They had the Law and the Prophets. They had the wisdom literature. They had all that 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 showed who the Messiah would be. But how different were their expectations and their pictures? You know, we have this missions map out in the hallway. Many of you have seen it. And it's kind of upside down from what we're used to. But why? Because it gives us a perspective. You know, we're used to seeing the world on a map in a certain way. And we know where the countries are. We know where America is. And we can see Israel and all that. And we know everyone else in relation to that. But when we have a map that's basically turned upside down, Doesn't it make us stop and think? Well, first of all, where are we? And and second of all, how does God see the world? Does God see it like our map? Even like our globe? If you took a globe and you could turn it around, I mean, we're on it and we have a certain perspective, but God can see it from any angle and perspective that He wants to. Can He? 
And so he does. And so we have to understand that, that, you know, there is a certain way to see what God has revealed about himself. And many of the people that were welcoming in, they had the wrong perspective. They had the wrong expectation of who this Jesus was going to be. Just listen to a, a few of these things. I mean, it, it's so clear as we read the Gospels about the accounts of Jesus' life that what he taught was always just the opposite of what we would think would happen or what the world would teach. Isn't that right? I mean, we're called to, to love and not hate, and we're called to, to encourage others, and we're called to be humble and not prideful, but our sinful nature drives us in just the opposite ways. I mean, the people who are expecting a war hero or conquering uh, warrior and king to ride in on a stallion, but yet he rode in on a donkey, a beast of burden for a war hero? He was a lowly servant, not the conquering king they expected. He wore humble clothes, not a royal robe full of all kinds of royal colors. He was the king of peace, not a king of war. He promised and taught an eternal kingdom, not just a temporary one. Everything he did was spiritual and not earthly. He came to bring everlasting peace, not just a false temporary peace. He came to defeat sin and not the armies of men. His power came with compassion and mercy and love, not by force. Can I say that again? That our King, our Savior, the most powerful of all, the one that we sing about, our only King forever, was a King whose power rests in compassion and mercy and love and not of force. Aren't we called to do that as well? That we are to be powerful for the Lord Jesus and represent Him by the way that we show mercy on others. And that we are compassionate to those in need because was not our Lord compassionate to us? And finally, Jesus came to conquer hearts and minds, not nations. He came to conquer hearts and minds. That's how Jesus changes the world, through hearts and minds that are transformed. See, it was not by Messiah's use of force and that kind of power, nor by the death of the Messiah's enemies that the kingdom was to be brought about but actually by the Messiah's death. Isn't that just opposite of what was expected? Were not the disciples confused a week later, the the day after the crucifixion? What, What just happened? It was not triumph from a worldly sense which would bring in the kingdom, but the tragedy of the cross. But see, even many Christians are under the impression that the way God is, it's all about the miracles and the wonders and it's about prosperity and We know that Jesus did perform miracles. He does want to heal us. He does have our best in mind. But really the way of the Lord, the way of Jesus, is one of need. He needed a donkey. Of rejection, of suffering, and pain. We see that as we approach Good Friday. As followers of Christ, we are expected, aren't we? By the Lord Jesus Himself, we're called to take up a cross even as He told us to. Because there will be rejection and suffering and persecution for His name's sake for us as His followers. But look, I say all that not so we miss the point that in the midst of all the persecution, the suffering, the carrying of burdens and enduring trials that we all do, the offer of our Lord still is peace. John fourteen twenty seven. 
says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Did you catch that? A peace not that the world can give. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Because he offers a peace that no one else and that nothing else can give. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, right? But in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why? And then here's the promise. If you do that, church, if you do that and if you are thankful and you just pray to God, he says you don't need to be anxious if you just come to Him in prayer, but you're thankful. He says then the peace of God, the peace of God that surpasses and transcends all understanding, you know what that peace is going to do? It's going to guard your heart and it's going to guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Do you ever feel just so anxious or so worried or so afraid? Pray that verse. Lord Jesus, would You just protect my mind and my heart? Would you cover my mind? Would you just just cover my mind with your peace so that I don't worry and that I'm not afraid? He says his peace will guard your heart. It will guard your mind from all of that worry and fear and pain and anxiety. Now, of course, we know it's easier said than done, but our part is to obey and to trust that He can do that and fulfill that promise because He is a King who brings peace. Jesus' purpose for riding into Jerusalem as He did on that day was to make public His claim to be their Messiah, the King of Israel, the One that would bring peace. The problem is, so many were under false assumptions, listen, of how He was going to bring that peace. See that? They wanted him to be the Messiah to bring peace, but how was he going to do that? Oh, on a stallion with his sword and his shield. No, on a donkey bringing compassion and mercy and love. They had some bad expectations. Great expectations, but misplaced nonetheless for those things that would actually bring peace. See, and when the crowd's expectations were not met, when he failed to bring peace by the sword, they quickly turned on him. But sometimes, church, I know it can be hard to think about, but don't we all do the same? Don't we do the same thing when what we want doesn't happen? When what we expect God to do for us doesn't come to fruition when or how or where we want it to? But see, we are called to be like the people who are praising Him, but to do it in a true manner. We're called to be worshipers in spirit And in truth, right? We are the ones now to cry out and witness of the coming Messiah. Like it says in Luke 19, Jesus said no to the Pharisees. I'm not going to silence these people. Because if I did, the rocks would have to cry out. Because now I have to be worshipped. Now I have to be glorified and honored. But it says in 1 Peter 2 that we are like living stones now. Right? The chief cornerstone. The stones crying out. Do you know that we are called now like the living stones offering those spiritual sacrifices as a royal and holy priesthood? That is our, not only our responsibility but our great privilege, isn't it? To worship God in that way. We are called to praise and worship Him before all the people. 
not being ashamed, but openly waving our our palm branches, laying them down. We do that through our words and deeds, shouting Hosanna. That means save us now, but we can proclaim He does save now. Now is the time to do that. He has come and we are His witnesses now to those miracles because we are His masterpieces of grace. See, we are created to worship. We spent five weeks talking about that. We are vessels made to praise Him. But some reject that living stone in order to build their lives on their own foundations. Not as the living stones we are called to be. Basing our lives on the foundation of the chief cornerstone. Right? If you remember, it was five weeks ago, I guess, when we started our series, our, our series during the season of Lent on worship, and, and we took that, that, that brief sabbatical from music worship, and I hope you enjoyed bringing the music back, didn't you? Wasn't it good? But it was good because we missed it, right? And that's okay. And like we said, it was like when you, when you fast from food and then you eat and it tastes a little bit better, right? But that's the idea. But we got to worship God. See, but how did we start that whole um, series on being created to worship? If you remember, I know you, you remember it like it was yesterday, don't you? No, that's okay. You remember that first message was all about who is God. It was all about the very nature and essence and character of God. For, of course, if we're going to learn about how to worship Him, don't we need to know who it is that we're worshiping? Because we also learned and reminded we can bring false worship. We can even come to church and raise our hands and sing real loud. But if our hearts aren't there, then God says that's really unacceptable worship. You know, that's what our God, our Creator says. And so we need to know who this God is that we are worshiping. Just like those at the gates of Jerusalem welcoming in Jesus in His triumphal entry, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He. Did they really know who He was? Or was it more who they hoped He would be or they thought He should be? We can't truly worship what we don't really know. You know, um, as we look at the end of that passage in Matthew that I read when there were some in the city who saw all of the hoopla around this celebrity, this famous person, they said, who is this? Who is this getting all this attention? You know, it's clear that they didn't have a good picture of who he was. This past week, um, I had the privilege of conducting the funeral service for my uncle. I say a privilege because it was a very sad time for our family. But they had asked me as a pastor, but also his nephew, to, um, to lead the funeral services. And I consider that a great honor. Something difficult, but it was, um, it was something that I was glad to do for the family. And you know, something that I, that I often um, forget, but you know, when you, we've all been to a funeral, you go to a viewing, and, and uh, oftentimes in the funeral home, the loved ones will have prepared just posters and posters of pictures, right? Now they even have videos running in the other room, and you get to see that. It's wonderful. But why do we do that? Why do we have all these pictures? It's for the memories. It's for the stories, right? The picture paints, you know, the, the, am I getting that wrong? It's a thousand words, right? Whatever that is. You know the connection. But the idea is we see one picture, it tells a whole story, doesn't it? And so, before I went up and, and just sort of, um, you know, led the, the brief funeral services, 
was walking around like everybody else looking at all these wonderful pictures of my dad's brother George, my uncle. My namesake, my middle name is George, and it was after him. He was even, um, they called him my godfather. And so I had a godfather, and his name was George. And here's the man that was laying there, the casket. But I got the great privilege to be able to talk a little bit about him. But you know, when I did, I kind of referenced the fact that there was all of these pictures. So many pictures that I got to see. But here's why I'm sharing this with you, church, because... What I realized is that I hardly knew the man. I loved him. I knew about him. I knew about him. I thought I knew a lot about him. But after I got to see all these pictures, so many wonderful pictures, I saw that he loved to go whitewater rafting. There he is with his friends, whitewater rafting, laughing it up. I didn't know he did that. These pictures of him out hunting, I knew he liked to hunt. But so many of those pictures, fishing, he lived right here in Lavalette. He loved to go out fishing. All these pictures of him catching fish, sitting around the table with family and friends playing games. I didn't know he loved to do that. He was an artist. He could draw murals and pictures and butterflies and flowers. I had no idea. I had no idea that he was like that. And so other family members would share stories and we would look at pictures. And I would say, wow, I didn't know he went there. I didn't know he did that. I didn't know that he loved to to, to be that. See, I realized, boy, what did I miss out on? It was such a life well lived, but I hardly knew him. I thought I knew him. I had a picture in my head of my Uncle George, and it was a good picture. I loved him, but it was a very incomplete picture. There's so much more. You know, when there's a time of loss, there's also regret, right? I wish I spent more time with him, and of course I do. Life gets in the way and you have other things and other friends and family and it's just it's the way life works. But it's at that time when you say, boy, I wish I just knew him better. Because there were so many stories that were told by those wonderful pictures. But what did I realize? I had an incomplete picture of my Uncle George. I thought I knew who he was, but I really didn't. He was an even greater man than I thought that he was in that little picture that I had. But see, there was people gathered to welcome Jesus and they had just a snapshot. They had one picture. What if I had walked into that funeral home and there was just one picture of my uncle? You wouldn't get the complete story, right? Isn't that why we love to take pictures and we have photo albums and we do all that? So we could tell the whole story, somebody's legacy. But see, the people were missing that about Jesus. They really didn't know him well at all. So my question to you is, Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Not just who you think he is, but who he says he is. And that he did what he said he would do. We don't want to be like those who shouted Hosanna, but didn't truly know him, and a few days later yelled crucify him. He came and fulfilled prophecy, and he brought forgiveness of sins. But you know what? I would say this. If you do know him, then ask yourself this. How well do you know him? How many pictures of your Savior do you have? Do you have just one and it's just one little picture of how you think He is or how He should be? Then I would encourage you and even challenge you, open the great words of the Scriptures, your Bible, and read about who He is. Read the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Put them all together. 
to get the complete picture of who we have. Read the Old Testament to see all the prophecies about the coming Messiah. You'll get a good picture, a much better picture of who He is. For how can we worship somebody that we truly don't know? So take a look at all those pictures of the Lord Jesus as you read His Word. But you know, if you're sitting here this morning and maybe you don't even know how you got here or why, well, I don't believe it's a coincidence, but if you don't yet know Him, here's what I do want you to know about Jesus. That He is the one true King forever like we sang about. He is that promised Messiah come to bring peace and hope and forgiveness of sin because without Jesus we are eternally separated from God is what the Bible teaches us because of our sin nature. Not just the sins you committed 20 minutes ago or the sins you committed five years ago or that you will, com- you will commit three months from now. We are then saved through Christ and His blood alone from our sin nature that we are born with. That separation from God that only Christ can reconcile. See, that's what the Bible teaches. That we are saved by God's grace alone through our faith of accepting that free gift of salvation, but it's through Christ alone and Him and no one else. That He had to be born. He had to go to the cross and die so blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Because God is a just God. And there needed to be payment for sin. But Jesus was that one and final perfect Lamb of God. Do you believe that, church? He was. We need to remember that today. See, so many people didn't see that. Didn't recognize it. But if you're here today and you don't know Him yet, there's no more reason to wait. It's only through Christ alone that that salvation, that offer of salvation comes. But you see, in Jesus... It tells us elsewhere in the Gospels that when he was riding, if you can picture it again, from the Mount of Olives, Bethany, Bethpage, he's riding and approaching Jerusalem. It says he wept. You know why he wept? He wept because they didn't know who he was. They wept because, listen, he came to bring them peace. He came to offer peace, church. He came to offer peace. When he approached Jerusalem, he knew that they would not receive or accept Him. And He wept because His heart was for His city. His own very city. The city of His ancestor David. And He loved the people. He loved God's chosen people. His Father's very own heart. And He wept. He openly wept. And that word even that wept was like, it was, it was like an out crying. It was out loud that He wept very emotionally for Jerusalem because they would not know the peace that only He could bring. He knew that He was about to enter into that city for one last time, but they wouldn't receive Him because they didn't know Him. They didn't recognize Him. They knew His popularity. They knew His fame. They knew His wonders and His miracles. But you know, isn't there just a world of difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing them? We can know a lot about Jesus. But in order to receive that free gift of salvation, we need to know Him. And we do that by just reaching out and saying, thank you, Jesus. Remember the story of the Philippian jailer when he saw the miracle of what God did to the disciples and freeing them, and he said, how must I be saved? What was their answer? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. 
Believe in the Lord Jesus. And that begins the moment of eternal life. So I'd like to pray for us. We're going to close with a song. I'm going to close with a song about the wonderful, beautiful, amazing, and powerful name, the matchless name of Jesus, because it is only through Him that that offer is made. And that that offer of salvation and reconciliation to our Creator can be made manifest and realized and true. So would you pray along with me? Father God, we are grateful. Grateful for a time together in Your Word. Remembering this very familiar story about Jesus the King entering into His city. But yet, God, it's a story that reminds us so um, vividly and in, in a way so humbling that we need to recognize who He truly is. God, as those of us who are believers in Him, we want to worship Him in fullness, in spirit, and in truth about who He really is. God, would You motivate us? Would You encourage us? Would You challenge us, even convict us, and discipline us when we are not in Your Word, when we are not fellowshipping with one another and praying so that we are growing in our faith and trust in You so that we can get to know Your Son better so we can worship Him deeper. And God, for those that are here today that have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation, God, would You move in their hearts? Would You change hearts and minds today through Christ, the one who entered on a donkey, humble, the humble king, who would soon after defeat death, the victorious king that he was, that he came to bring life and life everlasting. God, be merciful towards us. Show us your way, even this week, as we remember um, what we approach on Good Friday, but as we look forward to Easter Sunday, celebrating the empty tomb and the resurrection of our Savior, we just say, God help us. We want to shout out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. God, move in us to do that and to let others know here is our King. In His name we do pray. Amen.